You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 286, Caring for Aging Parents, an interview with Jennifer Ritchie. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hello, Mama, and welcome to another episode of Less Drama, More Mama. Before I introduce today's topic and guest, I want to let you know about an exciting new opportunity for you. February 13th, 14th, and 15th, I'm hosting a workshop called Mama Mindset Makeover. It's designed exclusively for moms who are ready to break free from limiting beliefs and embrace their full potential. In just three empowering sessions, we'll dive deep into your mindset, helping you gain clarity and transform your approach to motherhood. You'll also have the opportunity to get personalized live coaching from me. And the best part, it's totally free. All you have to do is go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash makeover to sign up. I'll also put a link in today's show notes at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 286. If you're new to me, you'll definitely want to come and experience my coaching and uncover those sneaky beliefs that might be impacting your parenting. Now let's talk about today's topic. If you are in your 30s or beyond, you might be part of the sandwich generation, a term used to describe people who juggle raising their kids with caring for their aging parents. Two months ago, I found myself thrust into the unexpected role of caregiver for my father after he fell and broke his shoulder. Almost immediately, I reached out to my colleague, Jennifer Ritchie, and asked her to be a guest on the podcast because I knew I wasn't the only mom struggling with the demands of parenting, caregiving, work, and other responsibilities, and we needed her support. Now, even if caring for your parents isn't currently your role, it may likely be a consideration in your future, so keep listening. Jennifer Ritchie is a certified caregiving consultant and educator and a master certified life coach on a mission to help people caring for aging parents or other loved ones navigate the roller coaster of caregiving. She teaches people that they can set healthy boundaries, manage challenging family dynamics, and handle the guilt and loneliness that comes with being a caregiver. She also empowers former family caregivers to find meaning in their experience through her self-discovery process. In this episode, Jennifer and I talk candidly about topics that may be unsuitable or unsettling for children, so please use discretion when deciding whether to listen alongside your kids. While these conversations may even be uncomfortable for us as adults, I strongly believe that they're crucial to help us make informed decisions, be proactive, and deal with the range of emotions that accompany being in the sandwich generation. So listen to the episode, and if you or someone you know needs support with this, reach out to Jennifer today. All her information will be in the show notes at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 286. Please enjoy my interview with Jennifer Ritchie. All right, we are here with Jennifer Ritchie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for you to be here, as you know. I'll give a a short background for my listeners. 
my father, who will be 81 this month, he had all kinds of physical issues, knee problems primarily, and he was scheduled to go in for a knee surgery. And that week, earlier in that week, this was about a month ago, he had a fall. He lives by himself and he was in his bathroom. He had a fall. And um, thankfully, he was wearing the Life Alert necklace um, or pendant or whatever they call it. And it alerted the ambulance to come and my sister was called and everything. So he ended up breaking his shoulder and needing surgery to have a, a shoulder replacement. And he was in the hospital for about 12 days, during which time, like his mental status was so, I mean, he was so confused, so delirious, calling me at all hours of the day and night saying like, they're trying to kill me. You need to get me out of here call the cops, like all this stuff. And it was so scary for him and for me. Yeah. And I remember, so one night I spent the night in the hospital with him and I, I uh, messaged you at four o'clock in the morning, my time. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Jennifer, I need you to come on the podcast. We need you. So I'm so happy you're here. I have lots of clients who are caregivers for their parents live with their parents. And and so I know this is a huge topic that needs to be talked about. Just as an update, my dad is now out of the hospital. He's in a rehab and he's doing so much better, but still there's some issues with his cognition and, and things like that. So some people have said, you know, it this kind of, maybe he had dementia or the beginnings of dementia and this kind of just, what's the word? Like, um, aggravated it or yeah yeah so anyway we're looking into that more but um, it's just been a roller coaster and you know I my dad has four daughters I'm the only one who lives nearby mm-hmm. um, luckily one of my sisters came and is, has been staying here the entire time and you know she's been an immense help and my other sister's have come and they've helped and and you know they'll they'll be back again but there's just so many questions i have about, for people listening who are the ones who have the burden of taking care of and i, yes. I hate to call it a burden but you know like oh, the I, responsibility of taking yeah. care of their parent who's close by but then also maybe the guilt and and other you know feelings that people have who are not nearby so let's just Start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into coaching caregivers. uh, Of is it is it just of aging parents or is it caregivers in all the senses? It's it's anyone. Aging parents is what I know, but anything that I coach on can be generalized to anyone. Okay, loved ones really is what I usually say. Mm -hmm. My caregiving journey began about ten years ago when I my dad had had sort of an ongoing kidney issue and ultimately got a kidney transplant. Um, but six months later got a fungal infection that killed him. And, um, it was from the immunosuppressant drugs. So that was like an eight year process in the middle of that. I moved in with my grandfather who fell, lived alone, very similar to your dad. Um, he lived alone. He broke his hip. Uh, we kind of met as a family and my partner and I decided we're going to move in 
I wasn't super excited about that. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a total change in my life, but it ended up being the best thing we ever could have done. And we made his final five years the best they could have been. But that was that was a huge, you know, a huge change. The biggest, I would say the biggest thing that brought me to coaching caregivers though was um, in 2020, we moved my mom in, we renovated our home and uh, made a sort of a suite for her, brought her home, even though she only lived four miles away, we were literally back and forth all day long Mm -hmm. taking care of her. And um, she had advanced arthritis and fibromyalgia and was almost immobile um, and ended up in the hospital with sepsis. So we moved her in two months later, right at the start of COVID. And she did not have COVID, but she thought she did every day of 2020. Mm -hmm. And that was the hardest year of my life. We were caring for her every need. We had hospice in as well, but it was like crying every night, searching online who can help me. I like, I, I was losing my mind. I had a great relationship with my mom and it Hmm. just sort of exploded when she moved in. And so that was really tough. And I decided that this thing that I was thinking about doing needed to happen because I I wanted to create what I couldn't find. Mm So, um, I had already been certified as a coach. And so I'm now a master certified coach. I also have a certification in uh, caregiving consultant and educator as well. So, um, and I do some teaching there. And so I help caregivers with that roller coaster. And, um, you know, the biggest thing was I, I, I would go in these like support groups and they would all say, it's such an honor to care for my, my mom or my dad. And, I wanted to feel that way. And I didn't, it was so hard. And like, I, I mean, I did to the, you know, I did, but, but I couldn't feel it every day, you know, like I, there was real resentment and anger and, um, that needed to go somewhere. So, yeah. So that's the long story. Yeah. Yeah. So where to start? I mean, what would you say are the most common challenges that caregivers are facing when they come to you? Not knowing where to start. Often with, I'm an only child and um, often someone who is caring for their parents as an only child, um, they have to do everything. They don't know where anything is. Mom and dad won't tell them where anything is. They don't want to talk about wishes, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. A lot of times I get a lot of um, siblings are fighting over how to care for mom and dad. Um, The person actually in the room doing the work is my client and they're being criticized, critiqued, whatever, by the siblings that live three states away who aren't there, who don't really know what's going on, you know? Yeah, I do. I have a client like that right now in that situation. Uh Yeah big one. Um, and I, you know, I really think it's, it's like the lack of control by the siblings. Like they want to be a part of it and they really often do have good intentions. It just comes out in a way that is not 
helpful. So navigating that relationship is a big one. And then I do a lot of work, especially initially with caregivers on like just calming them down, like calming the nervous system down. We do a family emergency plan. It's the first thing I do with people. And it's like, what is keeping you up at night? You know, like my big worry was what happens when my mom becomes immobile? I can't lift her. How am I going to take her to the bathroom? How am I going to do any of this? And as soon as I had a plan for that, I was like, okay, I can do this now. It's going to be hard, but I can do it. It's not like a, oh my God, what if, you know? Um, So we do that first and we just get people like sleeping through the night (laughs) and calm down and then they can start to see clearly on, you know, care. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to one of the first things you mentioned, which was like the parents don't want to tell you where things are. They don't want to talk about these things. Luckily, my dad has been kind of preparing us for a long time. Like in, in terms of, you know, he's got his will, he's got his, all his papers. He he gave us lists of where to find everything we need to okay. find and bank accounts and passwords and all the things. Like he's so organized. Such a gift. Yes. Such a gift. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. But what about you know, how how do you advise people to start having these conversations with their parents who may have not been like my dad? You know, what are the types of conversations that people need to be having, even though they're uncomfortable? How do we start those? And what are the things that we should be talking about? I find that this happens a lot in, in other cultures that where death is not talked about. You know, a lot of times we have to talk about finances when we go into these conversations that is not talked about. And so Obviously, just starting by saying, I want to make sure that your wishes are carried out. And if I don't know, that can't happen. Like, this is your way of having control when you're gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that my grandfather did that was such a gift for us is... He, we found this right after he died. We were just going through papers, sitting around talking about him. My mom was stressing out because she didn't know what he wanted to wear in the casket and like these little details that are big details, you know? And I pull this envelope out and it says to be opened after I die. And he literally wrote everything out for her. Mm. It was sealed. Like we didn't even know it existed. It was just in with all his estate stuff. And it was the biggest gift he ever could have given us. And so I tell people, if they don't want to talk about it, tell them to write it down, seal it in an envelope and put it somewhere safe or put it in the safe, put it, you know, give it to you somewhere so that when the time comes, you will know. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, bare minimum. I think, I think a lot of times aging parents are worried about their kids getting into their money and getting into passwords. And I don't want you in my stuff. And, you know, and that's not what this is about. This is truly like, I need to make sure your bills are paid if you're in the hospital. I need to make sure that mom is taken care of if you're not here, you know? Like explaining why you want the information, I think is helpful too. Okay. But honestly, if that doesn't go anywhere, they're allowed to say no. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, truly the bottom line. Yeah. There are consequences to that, but they, they are allowed to just say no. Yeah. You know, my dad, after his shoulder surgery, he was supposed to wear a sling 
like 24 Mm -hmm. seven to keep it in place, to help it heal. And he refused to wear the sling and the PT people would come in and they'd put it on him and they'd get it right. And the minute they left, he'd rip it off. And it was so frustrating for us, you know, to watch him do that. Like, dad, don't you want to get better? Don't you want? And he didn't, he didn't care. He didn't want to wear the sling. Yeah. Yesterday was his follow-up visit with the surgeon and everything was healing fine. And because it had been a month since his surgery, he doesn't have to wear the sling anymore. So, (laughs) so of course I asked him, what's your big takeaway from the, from the thing? And of course it's, you know, I can not do what I'm supposed to and still be okay, which is not what we wanted him to learn, but yeah, so, so stubborn and, you know, wants to do it his way. And that definitely can feel frustrating for me and my sister's. Then also, you know, he's got diabetes and he's constantly asking us to bring him chocolate. And so it's this, and it's this really, it's it's so hard to, you know, navigate even that little situation. It seems so small, but like, okay, do I bring him the chocolate because he's asking for it every day and he really wants it and he's 81 or do I not bring it to him because I know it's not good for him? And once I bring him one chocolate, I've set a precedent and he's going to keep asking and asking. Yeah, it's these little these little decisions that, you know, you feel guilty either way. Yeah, and there's no great answer to that, you know? I mean, I would say if the person is 95... Give him the damn chocolate, you know. Like, but yeah. if he's eighty-one and he might have another ten years, like mm-hmm. that is a dilemma. Yeah. So, okay, let's also talk about like what are some strategies for balancing caregiving responsibilities with your work and personal life. I know that for me, for like two to three weeks, I was a mess. I wasn't getting sleep. My routines were all off. I feel like last week was the first week I really got back into my routine and I'm at the gym and I'm eating the, the way I want to and sleeping at night. What are some strategies that people can can put in place to help them, you know, keep everything in check? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is n- you need to know that things won't be at the level you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where like that minimum baseline comes in really handy. Like, okay, I may not make it to the gym, but if I can stretch for five minutes, mm-hmm. that may be all I can do today, you know, and and being okay with that because some days are just going to be that way. The one thing that, well, I I hope that this is the case for most people. I know it's not, but you have people in your life that want to help and friends, family, whatever they say, let me know if you need anything. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't, we don't let them know. Um, and what I really want people to do is, is okay. Can you come over at five o'clock and bring a meal on Thursday? That mm-hmm. would be a huge help. And they love that because then they know what to do. Then it's like something tangible that they can do. Mm. Come sit with my mom so that she can have lunch with you and I can go to the gym. You know, if you've got those people in your life, tell them exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. It's not imposing. They asked and they can always say no. Yeah. They really, I mean, if someone says exactly how I can help, I am all over that. (laughs) Yeah. great tip. Yeah. I don't have any magic here. It, it really is hard. And I think 
acknowledging that it's hard. And if you have older kids, helping them, having them help and get involved is really helpful. Um, I don't think we should keep our kids away from caregiving or death. Um, that's a, a personal feeling. I think we we hide that stuff from kids too much. And it it, it ends up being scary for them when it doesn't have to be. Mm. Um, yeah, I've I've been pleased. I mean, I have two teenagers and they've both come with me to see my dad in the rehab. They didn't come to the hospital and yeah. um, but they they've come to the rehab a couple of times and and you know, they seem to, I don't want to say enjoy it, but I know that they feel um they feel good that they've done it, you know, that they've spent yeah. time with him, that they've seen him, that they and it and I think it um helps with their sense of empathy and compassion and things like that. So it's been it's been good. Well, and you're teaching them. We take care of our family. We go yeah. and see them. And exactly. I think that's so important for kids to learn, even if they're young. You know, my son is gonna be five in 10 days. And mm-hmm. He he was involved in taking care of my mom when he was little, like little, little yeah. when he was first born. So, I mean, he was there entertaining her, you know? So employ the help you can. I would say if you're employed by an employer, not, not self-employed, talk to them. They have programs for this. And in fact, one of the initiatives that I work on with a mentor of mine is getting caregiving departments into businesses because most people of our age or older are going to be caring for someone in their life. And, you know, there, there are programs, government programs that allow you to take time off, but it's very limited and you end up using up all your sick time. And, but often what people just need is someone to talk to. Mm. And, um, so there are companies that are working on that. And if they know it's a need, you know, there might be an employee assistance program that has counseling available, that has coaching available, you know. Yeah. If you can if you can take advantage of that, that'll at least help with the emotional piece. I also think finding an impartial person to be a sounding board is really helpful because I know when my when I was at my wits end with my mom, mm-hmm. I would talk to my partner and she would be like, okay, your mom lives her world is so small. Like you have to remember her world is just tiny. And she would like bring me back down to earth, even though she was in it with me, it was, she would bring me back to where I needed to be for that moment. And we, we managed to balance each other out. Shockingly, we weren't both burnt at the same time, but that helped a lot just in those moments. Um, I think journaling is helpful, but it's hard. I, it's, I would, I would say that that is a fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is hard no matter what you're doing. It's hard if you're 50 miles away. It's hard if you're five hours away. It's hard if you're five minutes away. You know, it's yeah. just tough. So can you share a story or more than one story about someone that you coached and how your guidance made a difference in their journey? Yes. I worked with someone who lived in the United States. Her parents were in Canada. This was during COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could not go see them. Well, she could, but she would have to do like a two-week quarantine and pay for a hotel to 
it was a nightmare to, to, to travel to Canada during that time. Um, and, and so she chose not to do that. Her brother was caring for her parents, but he was, um, he was a little rough around the edges and not quite doing it the way she wanted him to do it. And so we worked together and that, that family emergency plan was the first thing we did. We kind of got her main worries were something's going to happen to my parents and nobody's going to be there. We got a plan in place for that. We figured it out. We talked to neighbors. We got a community around them from far away. And that took a little time. And so that allowed her to just breathe. And it helped her not be there and be okay with it. And it helped her communicate with her brother. Um, she, we, you know, we, we would role play how to talk to him in a way that does not seem critical, but hey, have you tried this? You know, mm-hmm. um, and the Canadian health system was very different than ours. So it, um, that was also a challenge. And so there was a, there was a lot she was up against, but we, we just sort of like took, took the intensity down a notch. And then when she was able to go, it was so much more peaceful because they did have a community around them helping them. They had church people coming and it was just, it was better than she expected. Mm-hmm. I had another, um, another client who is a, a fellow coach who was very outspoken in her father's care to the point where she would get in and she would be the first one to tell this story, getting like fights with her, um, her dad's staff, um, you know, caregivers Uh because she would, she paid for them to care for him because she was in a different state. And the work we did was calming her down (laughs) with them. You know, it's hard when like they would keep changing staff or dad would kick them out. Um, So there was a very, it was a lot of battles. And so we, we just, here's what you can control. Here's what you can't kind of like, you know, what you teach with parenting. Um, Yeah. And like, we've got to pick our battles here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, This is also during a time when everyone is short staffed. We have a global healthcare crisis. And if they don't have people, they don't have people like there's, you know, we're all struggling. So Putting it into perspective, I think was really helpful too. But I'm telling you that like initial plan of getting those urgent worries taken care of, not fixed, but, but there's a plan Mm -hmm. Um, and we can do that for our kids. You know, like I have who picks up my son at school if I'm not available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I make sure that's like three people deep so that if, that backup's not available. I got two more I can call, you know, just knowing that that's in place and revisiting it monthly, quarterly so that everybody's clear. Mm. It seems like overkill in the moment, but when it happens, then the decisions are already made and you're not making them out of emotion. Yeah. I like that. On paper, mm-hmm. we revisit it. We know what's happening. We we often have to remind ourselves because our brain forgets. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about there's so many parallels between taking care of kids and taking care of elderly parents. And sometimes, you know, it seems like, like I am, especially with my dad with, you know, maybe the, the onset of dementia and everything, like, it seems like I'm talking to a toddler. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, he wants his independence, but there's certain things that he can't do. And it's, it's, they're so similar. And then also with, with us as the caregivers, those feelings of guilt and stress and frustration are similar to what we experience with our kids. Yes. I was looking back on some posts that I had written on Facebook last year. And one of the things I wrote was, please stop saying that you're parenting your parents. Hmm. And it, it, it feels that way. Like it really does, but it takes away their dignity when we say that. And I'm not saying that that's what you said. Right. And it put, it puts you in a role that you don't want to be in. And instead you can say, I'm supporting them at the level at which they're able to participate. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not semantics. It's like a paradigm shift. I am not parenting my mom. I am supporting her. And sometimes that means making decisions. Sometimes that means telling her, mom, you really got to do this. Sometimes she can make her own. But if we can keep it in our minds, like this is still our parent and they still have the dignity. And when they can participate, let's let them if possible. Yeah. I guess that leads me to uh, to want to know how can we help our parents maintain independence while providing care for them? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that comes to my mind is driving. Um, Mm. You know, my grandpa was driving till he was 95. Um, And that was a tough one. And that's, that's, I bring that up because that's the biggest one I get is we got to take the keys away. Um, now we were lucky enough to have a program through the local hospital. They actually were for like stroke victims where they would drive. It was a, it was like an assessment. They would drive with the person mm-hmm. and do a whole write-up and tell them if they should be driving alone. And they told him he should not, and he should definitely not be driving at night. Now he didn't listen to that. He thought that that was rubbish, and <laughs> but he didn't pass his eye exam at the DMV. So that he made the decision to give his keys up after that. Okay. Um, so I love my grandpa. He's very stubborn. <laughs> um, so helping them maintain their independence, if it's safe, you know, they can still drive, they can do the thing, but like, if it's safe, that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing is again, they are allowed to not wear the brace. They're allowed to not do the thing. And I know that for me, when that would get real frustrating is when the decision to not wear the brace affected my life because then I had to go in and do something different. And that's when I would get real angry. Like, you know, if you followed the rules, then I wouldn't have to come over here three times a day, you know, or things like that. So working with the team that's supporting them, oftentimes people, now this can go both ways. Oftentimes our parents will take information better from the medical providers. Yeah. Oftentimes they will not. <laughs> yeah. so it's better coming from us. Right. I found that if we could get, uh, we were friends with my grandfather's friends. And if we could get a friend of his to tell a story about when they needed to wear a brace and it helped so much you know, then then grandpa would do it. It was like, it had to be his idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we have to get creative sometimes. 
Yeah. And for my dad, like the, the driving was his idea. He said, I, I don't think that I should be driving anymore. I'm like, hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and even as recently as yesterday, I know it's, it's only been one day, but like he's said to me today, you know, I'm not ready to go home from the rehab. He just knows that he, you know, he needs to do the, the physical therapy, which he was resisting for a really, really long time. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's slowly like he's understanding that this is what he needs to do in order to be able to go home and get better. Yeah. And then um, when he wasn't wearing the sling, my sister and I had those conversations of like, well, if he doesn't wear it, he's going to have the natural consequences. Uh-huh. And so there's there's not much we can do. If he's going to rip it off the minute we leave, then there's, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, and of course that happened because the natural consequence was that he never needed it to begin with, right? Exactly. The doctor came in. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> um so what else? What else, what other advice or words of encouragement do you want to share with caregivers and moms who are listening right now? Well, going back to the independence thing, I also yeah. last thing on that is making it easy for people to accept our help. So for example, um, my grandfather was in assisted living. He really needed someone there with him, but we couldn't be there all, all day. And so we were trying to hire a caregiver to just sit with him. That's all. Just make sure he goes to meals, make sure he doesn't fall. And he didn't want anybody. He didn't want to be a burden on anyone. It was a big deal, but if we came, he'd be fine. Well, we couldn't. We right, couldn't be right. here all the time. So we just like hired a guy and started bringing him over. And he was our new friend. And we were introducing him to grandpa and he brought his dog. And, you know, it, it, it was just like, here's my new friend. And he's, he's going to hang out with you for a little while. And we're going to go to lunch. We'll be right back. And it just was sort of a natural, they got along, you know, it was also kind of a, like a, let's try this out kind of thing to yeah. see if they get along. Um, and it just became like this, Hey, this guy's just coming to hang out with me and it's not a caregiver. Right. That made it really easy for him to be independent from us, mm-hmm. but also accept help. Mm-hmm. It's just an example. Um, when we can make it easy for them in a creative way, that's another thing I love to do with my clients is like, let's get really creative and think in a way that we haven't before. Mm-hmm. You might just have to like let go of what you think the rules are and like, let's, let's mm-hmm. come up with something new. Let's dive into their reality. Some, you know, that a lot with dementia, mm-hmm. you got to be in their reality because if you fight it, and that was the big part of with me and my mom as she was actively in dementia and I was in total denial. Mm-hmm. So I was arguing with, I, I was the problem completely, you know, and I see that now, but. Um, yeah, my sister has a theater background. So she, she reminded, oh. she reminded us of the yes and game in improvisation. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And so like whatever dad says, however, like outlandish it may seem, it's like, yes. And we, we just uh-huh. agree. And, um, and there's yeah. no harm in it, really. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not when he was saying like they're trying to kill me. We weren't agreeing well, with that. Sure. <laughs> sure. But we were saying, we were saying, you know, we I can understand why it would feel that way. It's so scary. We were validating his feelings and then saying, 
but you're safe. And I was there earlier today and I met those people and they're, they're, you know, they're taking care of you and trying That's to calm amazing. You Yeah. Like rather than saying no one's going to kill you. Right. Exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, yes. Yes. oh, those people. Yeah. I was worried about them too, but they're, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. But in the moment, it's so hard to think that way. It's so, it really takes a lot of intention and yeah. focus. Yeah. It really does. So other words to, um, for caregivers, I would say, you know, remember that your parents had a life before you. Mm -hmm. And that was something I, I got to experience after my mom died. And I so wished that I had remembered that during that time that I was with her, I had posted on Facebook you know, she was towards the end of her life. She could still hear. And I wanted to be able to read any messages that people had for her. And she was a teacher for 35 years. She was friends with a lot of her students. And they wrote me amazing messages mm -hmm. um, about how they became teachers because of her. And they loved science because of her. And they wrote specific lessons that she had taught that they still remember and teach to their own kids. And it was overwhelming. and. Yeah. I couldn't, it was like, I forgot that this woman existed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when we can, and, and this is especially true for people who have dementia or who are starting to lose their short-term memory, they haven't lost their long-term memory. And so I would go in and have these conversations with my grandpa and it was the same thing every day. And I was like, I've got to find another way to talk to him because this is literally like Groundhog Day. And, but you ask him a question about when he was 10 and, you know, or what his first job was. Oh my gosh, his, yeah. his brain would just explode with stories and, you know, they have lives they want to share. Um, so don't forget that when you're in yeah. the middle of, of all of this, mm -hmm. it's hard to, for, it's, you know, it's easy to forget. Yeah. I also think it's important to remember that your parents are grieving too. Mm. Um, you know, we're grieving the moment something happens. It's anticipatory grief. We know that this is coming, but our parents are grieving. They're losing their abilities, yeah, losing their decision making. You know, they and they're not going to tell us that. You know, I mean, imagine if someone came into your life and started taking control of your body and your decisions mm -hmm. and what you ate and what you wore and maybe talked to you. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what like living in a nursing home is like, you know? Yeah. That's um, the one thing that has been the most aggravating to me is seeing people where he, where he is right now, not listening to him when he's talking. Yeah. There was a moment where there were three people in the room, plus me, they were trying to move him, reposition him in his bed. Mm -hmm. And they're all talking about how to do it and what their strategy is. And he's going, listen to me, listen to me. And he's just saying it over and over again. Nobody, and nobody even acknowledged him. And then I was like, listen to him. And they didn't acknowledge me either. And that yeah. was so frustrating. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what he's feeling all the time that nobody's listening to him. And he, you know, he has no control over things. He couldn't even yeah. move his own body. That was so frustrating, but it's gotten better. Like I said, everything yeah. has like, everyone's kind of getting to know one another and settling into their roles. And so that has gotten a lot better, but it's, it's so shocking when it first happened. Um, well, and I have to say the people, it, it, I'm sad that this is true, but the people that get better care 
the ones that have family members there every day. Mm, well, we have been present. going. We have been going every day. Yeah. Yeah. If they know that daughter's going to walk in anytime, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God bless the caregivers at these places. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, they have, especially now, just their jobs have got to be so difficult. And I'm sure that there are, you know, in your, in that situation, there are probably lots of residents there that just scream, listen to me. And then right, it's just a thing they say all day, you know, it's not. Mm -hmm. um, And so when they hear it, they don't even hear it. Mm -hmm. We got so much better care when we made sure someone was there every day, not all day, just, just, Mm -hmm. you know, random times. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It just helped. And you develop a relationship with the administrators. Yeah. So they know who you are and talk to them if there's a problem. Yeah. They really do want to make it better. Yeah. So tell people how they can work with you, where they can find you, and anything else you want to share about your business and how you can help people. Well, I'm excited because I just started with one of my mentors, a new, it's kind of like a live support group podcast. It's called Caregiver Support Live, and it's once a month. We do it live. People can write in their questions about caregiving and we give live answers. You can also join us live. So I'll share that link with you. Great. And we just started that this month. And um, you can find me at jenniferritchie.com or becomingbravecoaching.com. They both go to the same place. I work with caregivers one-on-one and I don't have a group program right now. Okay. And I, I typically do a month at a time my ideal client stays with me for the life of their parent and beyond because I think the former family caregiver has has unique needs as well, grief and things. But caregiving can change on a dime. And the last thing I want people worrying about is how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to, you know, I, I want them to have the support they need. So I will work with them in a very flexible way, but typically a month at a time. Okay. And we can do every other week. We can do short sessions, long sessions, whatever it, That's whatever great. it takes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So I'll put all of that in our show notes. And uh, again, just thank you so much for taking the time to be here and talk about this with me. Um, it's so timely. Yeah, and, thank you for uh, sharing. Yeah. And you're just such a fabulous resource for so many people who I know are dealing with this issue. So thank you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.